it's it's a no. It was okay. it's a no for me, dog. It's a big no. <laughs> Welcome back to Romancing the Monsters. I'm Em. Hi, I'm S. I'm Seth. Before we jump into today's episode, um, I like to sometimes remind people that um, if you are using Apple Podcasts, you can always leave us a review on there. It's super helpful for us not only to know what people like, what people don't like, but also just to get our podcast out there. Um, and also, uh, if you aren't already following or subscribed to our podcast, depending on the platform that you use, uh, please consider doing so if you think that we have earned your follow <laughs> slash subscription. Uh, we would be eternally grateful. Today, we are discussing another one of Lisa Claypass's novels. This is one of her... Probably, I would say, most popular ones. Yeah. You know, people are always very much team Sebastian St. Vincent, Devil in Winter, or team Derek Craven, Dreaming of You. Therefore, we have already read Devil in Winter in our uh, Wallflower series read-along last year. And now we thought we would, uh, you know, give Dreaming of You a little read since uh, S has not read this book before and she wanted <laughs> to meet uh, Derek Craven, see for herself who she prefers. Yes. And so we did. And so today we shall discuss Dreaming of You. And I'm sure it will be a very interesting uh, conversation. I'm excited to see what people think of this book upon rereads and first reads. Yeah, I'm excited too. First off, Seth, yes. what is Dreaming of You about? All right. Well, like you said, this book is about Dre Derek Craven, who is the owner of a gambling club that was a lot more popular than Jenner's. And we know Jenner's, uh, Ivo Jenner is Evie's dad. So this is like when he was like young yeah. in his prime. Um, and so, yeah, the book starts off with Derek kind of getting um, jumped in the, the alleyway and um, he's getting beat up. And then our girl Sarah kind of sees what's going on and she... Uh, She's a writer. She came, you know, to, <laughs> to London with a mission on, um, you know, getting to know more about gaming and gambling and, like, just the world in general. And so she isn't there without an escort, but she's curious to see what's going on, and she sees this man getting beat up, and she's like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? So she comes to protection in her little bag. She's She pulls out her little rifle, and she, like, shoots a person. It's supposed to be a warning shot, um, which ends up like shooting the person and he dies. But she saves Derek. Um, I also love that she literally kills a man in an alleyway. And right? It's never discussed again. It is never discussed. Besides her being like, "Oh my gosh, I think <laughs> I killed someone," and then died. <laughs> um, anyway, so yes, Derek is bleeding on the ground. His face is cut basically from like the forehead down to like I don't know where. Anyways, so he's bleeding, and Sarah helps him, takes him into his club, and, like, he's, you know, mended and all that stuff, and 
Sarah still really wants a place to, uh, I guess, learn about this world safely. So she more or less kind of, like, gets his his manager in a way to, to agree um, for her to explore the club and talk to the people that work there. That means like the prostitutes, the, the servants and like all of that. And like, even like the people that are dealing the cards for the games um, slowly, Derek discovers that she is a, <laughs> a part of his club and like, she's just there. Um, and then there's like this attraction between the two of them. And it just keeps growing and growing to the point where Derek is like, I'm not going to pursue this because I feel like I am not worthy of you. And Sarah is very much like, no, I, I am attracted to him too. And like, forget about Perry back in the country because she's uh, supposed to be getting married. Well, I mean, it takes her about 80% to be fuck Perry, but you know. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. She's just like, uh, I'm getting married to Perry. Anyways, that's more of like the setup. Not even the setup. That's like just the story in general. Um, and will they work things out or will they not? What happens? um all right so let's go to s since you were the one who wanted to read this um (laughs) what did you think s tell us um so is it really true that everybody is either craven or saint vincent pretty much yeah that's like the I mean, obviously, everyone has, like, their preferences, and there mm-hmm. are, you know, lovers of all of Lisa Kleypas's men out there, mm-hmm. Seth being, you know, uh, an example of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I do think that the two main ones are Sebastian and Derek, and it's very much like you're either a diehard Dreaming of You fan or you're a diehard uh, Devil in Winter fan, and it's kind of like they don't necessarily overlap, you know? It's like okay. one or the other. So I apologize in advance to all the uh, Craven fans, but I'm a diehard St. Vincent. Like, Not even a question for me anyway. No competition. Yeah. No, I don't even know. I should have listened to Seth and not. Right? Right? Like, hello. When am I ever wrong? I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I. it wasn't as, I guess I'll say I didn't really enjoy this book. Um, I liked I like certain aspects of it, um, but I feel like I disliked more. I liked Craven and Sarah individually. I didn't like them together. I feel like they were really annoying. Interesting. So what about them? Like, if you can pinpoint at least one thing, what did you think was annoying about them being together? I think the back and forth. Mm. Okay. It, I felt that, yeah. And I feel, it, they, I feel like they dragged it on for yes. a long time. And, and then there was things that I disliked of, of each, like, individually as well. Um, one of them, like, for Craven, one of them being him sleeping with the club, one of the club girls. And We're going to discuss that. That's a hot topic in the fandom. Yeah. The, we'll talk about that. That was yeah. one thing okay. that I really disliked, and I feel mm-hmm. like yeah. if this was a different genre, I don't think it would have bothered me so much. Or maybe it's the fact that that my reading, how should I say, my reading preferences have changed now. Because I, okay. I think in the past, I don't think that would have been an issue for me. Yeah. But it okay. was an issue in this book. It was really an issue. Do you think that reading this one after reading the entirety of The Wallflowers, you know, because 
obviously this is releasing, you know, much later in time. But mm-hmm. for us, it has, you know, we're reading all these kind of back to back pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that had an impact for you? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I also feel like it could have been more so like, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I'm just like thinking out loud. Do you think it could have mm-hmm. been, um, you know, the whole, like the like you said, the wallflowers and like, you know, some of the Hathaways, do you think it's because, like, maybe we've read characters and, like, men who wouldn't necessarily look at any other woman, and, like, we're kind of reading this book where it's more, like, raw and, like, more, I would say, like, rough around the edges type of story. It did feel more rough around the edges compared to the other four books that we've read. I don't know. I feel like there was just too much that is just, it wasn't... There was too much and not enough at the same time. Yes, I think, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's perfect, perfectly said. And then remind me, because there's one thing that I want to read that I kind of really disliked of Sarah, okay. but I won't say it. There's like a certain passage that okay. I want to read. Is it when she's talking about the prostitutes and how she's against it? Uh, no, but that, that's oh. probably another thing. That's something that, I want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> that's another thing. But for her, it's just, it's like her like inner thoughts where she kind of... Like, she realizes something, and then she kind of, I feel like towards the end of her thought process, she kind of takes a step back. And maybe that can be worked into, like, her monster, in a way. Okay. So we'll get into it later on. Saf, uh, you've made it known on the <laughs> podcast before that this is not one of your favorites. Yeah. Your one gripe was the time that they spend apart. Yeah. Uh, but you did say before that you really liked Craven, so I'm interested to see, have your feelings changed at all upon this reread or not? Okay, so like you said, I'm very, I'm like, I'm very vocal about not liking this book, and um, I went into this book, you know, kind of feeling heavy, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to read this for the podcast, like, oh my gosh, gotta sit through this book again. <laughs> you did this to us! <laughs> And, like, I still had, like, the thoughts of my my first read um, in my head about, like, you know, that I'm spending so much more time apart than they do together. And, like, so I kind of went into this book expecting that. And, like, once I read it, I was like, yeah. It's literally, like, 60-something pages of them, like, apart. But, like, also, like, the time and the pages. Like, it's been, like, months and months and months since they, like, seen each other. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? I don't know where I'm going to go with this, but, like, I felt the same way I felt with the, the first time I read it. Like, there were aspects I liked, but more so I felt like they spent way more time apart than they did together. And, like, by the time they did get together, it was, like, like little snippets of their happiness. And, like, I just – I wanted more if we were going to get them to see – like, just to see how far they've come as a couple. And, like, we didn't really get that. It was more, like I said, little snippets. But I will mm-hmm. say, Derek's character is, like, one of the most interesting and intriguing to me because of how developed he is. Like, he has, like, so many different, like, sides to him that I feel like he's kind of, like, real and alive. I don't know how to describe that, but I just feel like he's just very multifaceted. And, like, he goes through so many, like, journeys and growths as, a, like, a character that, like, he just kind of, like, takes over the whole story. But besides that, I felt the same way. It was like an okay read to me. It's not something that I would ever pick up again. Okay, sorry. Yeah, this is the last time we're going to pick up and read this. No more. (laughs) (laughs) No more. Yeah, okay. So for me, uh, Dreaming of You was actually a book that I read back in 2015. So this was 
a couple years after reading The Hathaways, a couple years after reading The Wildflowers, which I hadn't reread since. So it felt like, you know, reading Lisa Claypass again, you know, like there's always a a kind of an added feeling when you peek pick up a, a Lisa Claypass book when it's been a while because yeah. you just you have those like feelings towards it um and I remember really loving it I remember loving the characters I remember loving the story and obviously I have not reread this book since um but at the thought of having to read this I was feeling like tired yes, <laughs> yes that was a feeling it. and I didn't understand why I was feeling that way I started the book and right away it was like part of me didn't quite want to get invested into the story and it never happened you know like the book never managed to win me over Mm -hmm. and make me care about the characters make me care about the story i ended up really struggling to finish this book like really struggling and I'm doing the audiobook mind you at like 2.5 times speed and I'm still like god damn this book is not ending to be perfectly honest it is a situation where I'm like it's probably 80% me you know like maybe I was not in the right headspace the right you know mindset the mm-hmm. right mood to you know really enjoy this maybe it's because I did the audiobook and had I read it maybe I would feel different about it or worse who knows mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but I really didn't even care about the characters. And, like, I remember liking Derek Craven a lot. And I remember liking Sarah. Wait, so you didn't like him reading this book? I was kind of, like, eh. Indifferent. And and I do think that part of it is because we just reread The Wallflowers. And I love those characters with all my heart. Yeah. And Sebastian St. Vincent is obviously the love of my life. And so... <laughs> I guess maybe part of me unconsciously was maybe comparing or I I think I prefer Lisa Claypass in a series format where Mm -hmm. it's like you have this like cast of characters that, you know, jump in and out of the books and everyone gets their story. But they're kind of slowly built towards, you know, slowly built upon throughout the series and then they get their book. And like by then you're already attached. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think she works best in that format. Uh, for me anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and this feels a little bit like a one-off, even though I know it is part of like a series with the first book being about Alex and uh, Lily, which I've never read that book. We can talk about them. I don't know if you guys are interested or not. I think but, I would have preferred um, to read about them than... Right? Like, it was mentioned how Alex is, like, super jealous. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, you have my attention, sir. Yeah. <laughs> even Sarah, I had, like, real issues with her she was really annoying me this time around like I was noticing little things about her character that I was just like really you know if you want me to just name them off like first off how she sees prostitution you know Mm -hmm. second of all just like how she treats Derek and his past and what he's done and the way that she acts like she's above him a lot of the time and like not just uh, as far as station, but like morally above him for some reason. Really? And I just, I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. But, you know, I obviously empathize with her as well with like fucking gaslighting Perry over there. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I still think that this is a very interesting book to discuss because I do <clears> think <throat> that despite everything I just said, 
there's a lot brought up that um, makes for a good conversation. You know, a lot of topics that she touches upon here, um, you know, like prostitution and so on, that um, I think we'll probably, you know, get into interesting conversations later on. So. Mm-hmm. So sadly, listeners, if this is a book that you really enjoy and you honestly think it's your favorite book or one of your favorites, maybe don't continue listening. But then if you want to have a good discussion, I would say listen on. But then again, like we obviously love Lisa Kleypas. It doesn't matter to me if you love this book in the sense that like love it all you want. I'm happy for you. And if you are one of those that prefers Derek Craven above all else, um, good for you like I, we're not trying to destroy the no, book no, no, today like that not. is really not the i like i'm genuinely here to have interesting conversations about the book because i do truly believe that there are interesting conversations yeah. to have mm-hmm. um so yeah the the point is really not to uh just be hella negative for like an hour and 20 minutes uh <laughs> don't worry yeah we're not we're not gonna tear it apart but uh no 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 I mean, I would never like to me. Lisa Kleypas reigns supreme. Like, I'm not going to do that to her. No. You know, let's start with the characters individually. You said that you had things that you wanted to say about them, us. So let's maybe dive into that first. So for Sarah, just the fact that she was an author, and mm-hmm. she went above and beyond to like places to research and to talk to people. Yeah. Um, I really love that. I really love that she kind of had a bond with the girls at the club. There was a point where they kind of defended her to Craven. There was a moment which I, I really loved. For Craven, I really loved that all that he built because he had a rough childhood. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like he built like this empire, basically. Um, I felt like it, I love the fact that he took in the club girls and he didn't take advantage of them. Okay. So you mentioned uh, Sarah being a novelist, and that's one thing that I find very interesting in this book, uh, because novels back in the Regency era were, for the most part, written by women and enjoyed by women. Mm-hmm. And that kind of rings a bell uh, with romance nowadays, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Um, yeah. And the interesting thing is that it was very much frowned upon, you know, it wasn't seen as art, it wasn't seen as anything dignified, it was, you know, men were saying, oh no, women will become addicted to them, Um, they won't be able to tell reality from fiction, um, etc, 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 obviously because it was written by women therefore it's very easy to bring it down and diminish it as something that's not worth being called art and that's that's in the book you know she gets told at some point and you know perry and his mom in a way are also you know they also showcase that uh sort of disdain towards her her profession of writing and i just think that that's um that's a, a cool choice because as a romance reader, seeing how romance is treated out there in the world, there's just, you know, an obvious uh, comparison there. Uh, and it hurts yeah. <laughs> to see that, you know, patterns are just repeated over and over because everything that women loves, love, yeah. 
um, has to be brought down down because it's, you know, loved by women. Yeah, no, it does really mirror our own, I guess, society's take on reading and books in general that are written by women. Um, but yeah, no, I really, if that's a good comparison, but I also feel like for Sarah, I like that little comment that she made that she's writing for herself. Like she's not writing to get yeah. published or like for people to read her work. She's writing mm-hmm. because she, that's her passion and she enjoys it. So I really like that too about her. Yeah. And, and another aspect of that is that, um, there's this whole thing in the book where people really think that Matilda is real. Yeah. <laughs> that she exists. Yeah. Like they kind of can't believe that she's not real. And I don't know, like that that made me laugh because it's kind of like playing on that sort of mentality that like, oh no, people can't differentiate fiction from reality. Um, and now they think that Matilda is real. Uh, when she wasn't she was a creation by Sarah but I think it's because she's like an amalgamation of like all these other women's experiences that every little like tidbit about her it's like you know her like you know someone that's been through that or like something something like that so I just feel like maybe she just felt so real especially for the women in the club they felt like she was real because they do live her life in a way yeah they probably felt very heard by that character and and if anything it just shows that Sarah was a, an excellent writer, mm-hmm. you know, that she created a character that felt real enough that people couldn't believe that she wasn't real. Exactly. Um, as for Derek, Seth, do you have anything to say about Derek? No, I mean, like, I mean, obviously, yes, it was the same thing. I love that he built that empire. He literally was born in a gutter and, like, was believed yeah. to be, like, you know, he was a boy born from poverty and, like, it was like he was told numerous times it wouldn't amount to anything because he came from nothing. Like, it's just like a common idea that people that are in poverty, they don't become anything more. But he wanted more. And I love that he kept fighting and like, you know, clawing to the top to reach what he wanted, which was like a safe and like, I guess, steady place in his life. And like, it just for him, it was something that he kept digging and digging for. He wanted more and like nothing satisfied that. So I liked seeing that kind of side of him and, like, seeing his struggle with, like, who he was versus who he is now and, like, what he has now, what he didn't have then. Yeah, I just, like, think his character was really interesting on that side. And I also felt like the way he discovered love with Sarah was also really interesting to me because, like, he did fight it a lot. And, like, he didn't want to call it love. And he didn't even really call it love until, like, I would say, like, the last percent of the book, basically. So I thought that was interesting because he wouldn't know really what love was because he never experienced it besides with Lily, which was his friend. For me, the thing is, he's lived a very, very rough life. Yeah. He, you know, was a chimney sweep, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, acknowledged as like one of the worst things you could possibly be in the Victorian era. Like Um, kids were dying at like five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, poor guy got stuck in the chimney at some point and like essentially the way that they got them out was essentially the light of fucking fire under them and then it's like oh yeah you're gonna get out or you're gonna die so you better fucking get out that's horrifying that's you know disgusting. and and it's it was it was just a buildup of things like that that he had to do yeah. in order to get where he is and he's very proud of where he's he got, you and know. he should be, man. He's like the richest man in yeah. London. Yeah. Yeah. The life that he established for himself is something to be proud of, no matter what the fuck goes on in his club, okay? Yeah. He, he even says, you know, his mom was a prostitute. Um, he didn't know her. 
she died, whatever. He grew up by himself, blah, blah, blah. And he himself, at one point in his life, had to sell his own body as well. Like, that was part of it as well. He yeah. mentions that he did have sex for money with women. Yeah. Um, and again, it doesn't sound like it's something he regrets because it got him where he is. Yeah. And I don't think it's something that he should regret. As for Sarah on this point, I, I don't like how she sees herself as morally better than him. She mentions at some point that she's concerned about Derek's sins and that she doesn't want to need to make excuses for him. That rubs me the wrong way because I feel that despite everything that he's done in his spite in his past, Derek, I've never seen him as someone cruel. No. I don't see him that way. I at all. I see him as a businessman. I see him as a man that perhaps has never um allowed himself to love or trust people, but mm -hmm. he's not by far the worst character. I think Sebastian St. Vincent, Vincent is more morally compromised, <laughs> of course. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, if if Evie was like, oh, I'm concerned about Sebastian's sins, I'd be like, yeah, girl, me too. Like, he <laughs> fucking kidnapped someone and then, like, threatened to rape her. Yeah. And here you are married to him. Like, Maybe. I can fucking see that. But for Derek, I don't see it, you know? And she's very much like... I'm doing the right thing and blah, 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 blah. And, and somehow he's like tainting her and she's telling him that he's not, but she's like worried that he is. And I'm like, girl, the Make fuck? Like he's, he's, yeah, he's not a bad man because of his past. Yeah. I feel like the book tries to tell you that, but I don't feel that from his character at all. No. He cares about the people in his life. He cares about the women in his club. Yeah. He cares about yeah. his employees. He cares about his friends. He cares about his niece. Like, I don't, I really don't see him as, as dark or cruel or needing redemption in any way, shape, or form. And then he donates a lot of money as well. Yeah. He does. Yeah. yeah. But Sarah does mention that. And, like, I feel like that's at that point where her, like, opinion of him obviously changes at that point. But I think she went into the story, I think, from the beginning and, like, you know, until she left him the first time. I think she has that, like, small-town mentality or, like, you know, where, like, she just doesn't... She associates his past with women and S money and drugs. nodding her head, like, yeah, girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, she equates that. his, his uh, past, like, relate not relationships, his past um, sexual encounters, drugs and the alcohol and, like, the gambling with, like, sinning. Yeah. And she has never done that. So she, I guess, maybe sees herself as more, like, like... I don't want to say godly, but, like, she sees herself as more, like, of a less of a sinner, I, I guess. But then, I don't know. I just feel like with her experiences with, like, her researching her books, she would have to unlearn a lot of those thought processes and, like, a lot of those behaviors that she learned in church and, like, the small town with, like, you know, Perry and his mom. Like, you think she would unlearn a lot of things because she had to learn about prostitution, learn about gambling, learn about whatever other stuff she had to do for her books. I did notice that. I just want to add that I think it has a lot to do with Perry and his mom. They're really judgmental. Oh, he's gaslighting her. Yeah. A lot. Was I was like, fucking Perry, go fucking die. Go jump off a cliff. Marry your mom. I don't right? care. Marry your damn you mom. Fuck her. Yeah. Jeez. Agreed. Anyways. Same. To come back to what you said, Seth, yeah, you would think that someone who is writing about 
these kinds of situation, who is researching them, who is meeting people in those fields like prostitutes and so on, that she would be more educated and more open to what they might go through and what they might be going through or have to do. But she's not really. Which I think kind of brings us to uh, the conversation about prostitution and the way that she sees prostitution. So Matilda in her book... Yeah, let's talk about that. Matilda in her book is a prostitute. If I remember correctly, by the end of Matilda's book, it's kind of ambiguous whether or not she had a happy ending. Some think that, you know, because everyone's like theorizing about it. It's like the talk of the town. Everyone's like, what the fuck happened to Matilda at the end of the book? Did she jump off the bridge? Did she Right, like, did she die or was she happy? Did she meet someone, marry them off page, whatever? No, but the key phrase was, did she atone for her sins? Did she decide to live and atone her past encounters like whatever she did exactly and when sarah walks into the establishment for the first time she very specific there's one paragraph where she's she's specifically addressing the you know prostitution as uh you know work as a job and she says that she's against it that being said, I do think that there is a nuance there because while I am pro sex work, I don't, you know, see that as an issue whatsoever. I think that in the paragraph itself, what she meant was that she's against it because in a lot of cases, probably more so back then, it was women who had no other option that were sort of lured into becoming prostitutes, you know, because they had no other options and some man comes along or some madame or whatever and they're like, hey, I've got work for you. And once they're in it, they can't come out of it. You know, it's kind of like a prison in a way. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there were fine establishments back then who weren't like that, but I can imagine how it was a very rough life for women. Very, very rough life if you were unmarried, had no money, no family, and were in the streets. Like, there there wasn't really anything else you could do. Like, I feel like Craven's is one of, obviously, the better establishments, and, like, not a lot of women are lucky like that back then. Not a lot of women are lucky like that. But, so, she sees that. Right. I'm sure she's aware that this is a different kind of establishment and that everyone that works there wasn't necessarily coerced into becoming a prostitute or, you know, forced to stay there because now they're owned by Derek. You know, I don't know. To me, it's just it's important to note that there is a nuance in what she's saying. And like, of course, I'm not for sex trafficking, which is kind of what it sounded like she was referring to more Mm -hmm. so like just women be taken from their lives and, you know, put into this forced into this by the situation or by someone, which, of course, that's like, no, but it sounds also like she's just against prostitution across the board. And like you said, the, the the one paragraph about Matilda, her own character, kind of highlights that a little bit. Yeah. Like that there's somehow something they need to atone for, that they're, like, dirtier. Yeah. Or not as, uh, you know, that they're morally lesser than her, you know? Like, that's, that's really, it's really the heart of it. Yeah, no, I, I picked up on that when she was, like, talking about Matilda. I think, I don't know if it was with the 
the woman that worked with, at Cravens, but I don't know. She's just talking about it in general and, like, how, like, people are trying to figure out, like, you know, like, does she have to atone for her sins? Like, obviously, we know she's a prostitute and, like, maybe her sin is sleeping with, you know, men for money. But, like, just that, that idea that she has to atone for something that she had to do. Like, it was – she had to earn money in some way and that's how she did it. Like, why would you need to atone for that? And anyways, I just don't like that idea that uh, that's what she wrote. But again, it could just be the way she was brought up and, like, the way she was taught. And, like, you know, the need to unlearn things, which I feel like by the end of the story, she kind of more or less did when it, con- like, came down to Derek. I would say just Derek, yeah. Yeah, it's just strange that, you know, she'd be researching this but not feeling any sort of empathy or sympathy for them in that way it just doesn't really make sense to me I think she did but like in a different way like you know and like maybe not empathy maybe more so pity how does that relate to Derek then like because she obviously doesn't feel the same way about Derek selling his own body to women because I think at that point she got the full story of Derek you know like she finds out like everything about him and like she sees that he's literally like kind of not treated himself like a person He's more so just, like, done whatever he could to survive. And, like, he's mm. never known anything better. He, that's all he's ever known, like, you know, to sell your body, do this and this and this to get money. Like, he's never really known anything different. And Sarah is that person that, I guess, quote-unquote, gets to save him and show him a different path. I don't know why that doesn't sit right with me. Right? As soon reason, as I yeah, said it, I, I was like, wait, is she, like, is she thinking she's, like, this, this savior to come save him? Actually, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm kind of not. I'm disliking her a little bit more and more for some reason. No, don't. That was just my my thoughts coming out of my mouth. It kind of brings us towards the end of the book because so Craven burns down. Sadly, yes. And Derek chooses not to rebuild. Mm-hmm. He just lets it go. He lets all of it go, which how does that? fit in with just how proud he was of what he had built and to just see it crumble crumble and yeah. for him to let it go was that did that make sense to you was there something that i missed that maybe shed some light on you know why he chose to do it or was he just over that life which he's totally entitled to be what what do you think happened there for him to be put so much of himself, literally blood, sweat, and tears into this establishment? It burns down, and he's like, "All right, I guess I'm just gonna live a normal life now." When I first read it, I was like, "Okay, he found because he mentions that he's searching for something." Yeah, there's a yes. line that he says like in the beginning that yeah. he's missing something, and mm-hmm. and it Cravens burns down and he went crazy when he thought that she had burned in there. And then for him to say, like, I don't want to rebuild because I found something. I found love. I found whatever it is that he needed or wanted in Sarah. True. But then talking about it now and thinking about it is just, I would have liked for him to rebuild and maybe... A different kind of establishment, maybe? Yeah. Because and then it just kind of... It, it, it makes me feel like it wasn't as meaningful, like what he built throughout those years like he wasn't really proud for me I saw it um 
Like, okay, so like you said, it was more so like he was searching for something and like he was never satisfied. And then he mm-hmm. met that, like he found that peace and that satisfaction with Sarah. And so like I kind of saw why he wouldn't want to rebuild it because he wants that life with Sarah that like, you know, like she's promised him like, you know, let's like have a life, let's have babies, let's just have a good life. And like he saw Lily and Alex have that and like maybe a part of him did want it that he didn't vocalize. But yeah, I mean, like I, I understood the journey of his story and like mm-hmm. I respected it, his decision in the end to not rebuild it. Um, but yeah, like you said, maybe he could have done something else or you know build something else but at the same time I feel like if he did rebuild his club we would never have gotten Jenner's uh success and like also see what Sebastian would have turned that club into um I just love that his name is Derek Craven and he's always craving more like I just love the play (laughs) on words here and like maybe he chose that and and I think that you guys are hitting an important point when you say that he has found because he he mentions he always wants more 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 yeah and he doesn't know where the end is because he has no end point in mind Mm -mm. you know he's just trying to get more and i think a gambling club is in a way a symbol of that it's a very like soul-sucking kind of place you know you just pour your life into it and it never comes back out with you you know yeah (laughs) you might lose your life in the gambling club you know you might lose your home your family whatever you know people go in there and it's a very like i said soul-sucking kind of place i mean but it's very lucrative obviously like you make so much money for, for him. him, yeah, yeah, yeah. for him, no for one him. else. But but as a symbol, it's not very lucrative. It's very soul-sucking. It's yeah. not, you know. So I wonder if perhaps we could read that as now he's found what actually truly deeply satisfies him yeah. in Sarah and the future with her and in being not what he has been and the kind of burning it down of that place is, you know, I guess him letting go of his own side of himself that's like just soul sucking, just wanting more, 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 yeah. and never finding the end of that. I don't know. Trying to turn it into something that makes sense, okay? <laughs> no, I mean, like, honestly, I think because this is one of Lisa Claypass's earlier books, I feel True. like, um, it's missing, like, the certain nuances or, like, the certain little comments mm. that, like, we're used to in, like, her newer books. And, like, obviously you change as a writer. You improve as a writer as the years go on. And, like, yeah, yeah, I just feel like the story, lack of a better word, is very basic. Yes, but at the same time, I love how she's putting in the groundwork for her, you yeah. know, what's to come. Right? You know, Ivo is there. Ivo is young, healthy. He's got Jenners. Can we talk about Ivo? <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Ivo. How do you guys feel about Evie's uh, dad, who is uh, kind of hot in this one? I've always been interested in Evie's dad. <laughs> uh, I wasn't interested like that. <laughs> oh. Um, no? No. But I can see, like, it kind of, how she kind of talked about, like, he was very involved in his, in his club. And, like, I saw him a little bit, like, immature and how he wouldn't have been a great dad to Evie growing Mm. up. Like, I I mean, that was before the the woman. It was, but it sets the example of what he's going to be like. True, true. 
part of why Jenner's was not successful with Ivo is because, yes, he was involved, but not in the right ways. You know, he wasn't the, um, I was going to say manager, but that's not the word for it. But he wasn't Derek. You know, Derek was managing things in the right way. Yeah. Ivo wasn't. He was more... So just trying to have fun and, you yeah. know, fighting and, yeah. you know, trying to have this, like, rivalry with um, with Craven instead of actually putting in the effort in his own club. Um, yeah. So I, I, I find it interesting that she's already putting those little things into place. Like, I, I, again, any day of the week, I will say that Lisa Kleypas is a mastermind. Okay, oh, yeah. I just really think that she's, like, masterful in how she, like... Drops little things like that. I take back my word of it being basic because it kind of (laughs) wasn't. I don't think it was basic. I think what you're trying to say is that it's trying to achieve a lot and maybe it doesn't hit all of those points. Yes, yes. That's exactly what I I meant. You said it perfectly. But no, for (laughs) me, I felt like Ivo was a very intriguing character because like, you know, Sarah kind of voices, I guess, maybe his inner insecurities of like him wanting... He sees Derek and, like, him like, kind of hating how far he's come. Like, I think those little, like, yeah. comments are really important to, like, understand Ivo as a character. And I kind of would have mm-hmm. liked to story, maybe to, like, just have a little end of him looking at, like, you know, Evie's mom. Or, like, just, like, to have a little, like, you know, just a little right? throwback to, like, Evie and, like, how she came to, to be. <laughs> okay, so before we move on to Lady Ashby, which oh, I want to talk I about... I want us to just uh, talk about a very, very hot, hot topic in the Lisa Kleypas fandom when it comes to this book. Mm. And it's a debate that has been going on ever since this book freaking came out. And Lisa Kleypas has never confirmed nor denied the answer to this question. Did Derek Craven have sex with Tabitha? I really struggle saying that. Tabitha. Tabitha. I don't think he had sex. I think it literally was what she said because she was a very literal, like, literal person, Tabitha, that he literally just held her and called her Sarah and cried. I feel like that was it. But S was strongly saying that she thought he had sex. Yeah. And this is why there's a debate around this because no. it's very, it's very ambiguous how it's written. Where she doesn't quite say that they have sex, but she doesn't quite say that they don't have sex. She just said, okay, I read it out, but I know she just said that he, like, held her and, like, just kept saying Sarah. I don't think they had sex. Because where he left her, you know, in London and, like, where he was, like, months later, I just feel like he literally went down a downward spiral and, like, literally there was no one else for him true but also there's the possibility that tabitha was not saying the whole truth maybe she hid part of the truth to not hurt sarah who knows no i don't think so i i honestly i don't think so because then i literally would drop this book to like a zero (laughs) yeah you're very against this which is why i find it funny that that's really not phasing you at all Personally, I am on your team, Seth. I I read this as they literally just held, you know, he just held her all night and called her Sarah, pretending that she was Sarah. For me, it doesn't read like they had sex. But, you know, a lot of people feel like it reads like they had sex. It does not read that way. It does read that way. Let me tell you. No. Yeah, I feel like it does. That's (laughs) that's how I took it. That's almost like, excuse me. 
sir. No, I feel like this, the amount of alcohol this man drank, you really expected him to be able to get it up. Okay. He held her all night. I'm still against that. He thought he really? literally envisioned Sarah. No, I don't care. I don't care. It is a little weird. That it is, is a little weird. weird. It uh, is weird. It is weird, but it's not as weird as him actually going out and sleeping with other women. That's a that's betrayal in my book. I'm sorry. But no. he literally no. used her like he like copy and pasted Sarah's face on Tabitha's and he's like, This is Sarah. I don't give a fuck. No. It it walks the line. No. For me personally, it doesn't bother me still because, well, a I've made it I've made it clear before I don't mind cheating in books. Oh, <laughs> I hate it. I hate but, it. I hate it. But I don't actually. I wouldn't even call this cheating no. in any way because at that point in the story, they're not together. She's literally engaged to another man, kissing another man at that point, and like trying to get it on with that man. And here he is, just cuddling another woman, calling her by his by her name. I see that as totally no. fine no <laughs> no you're not gonna change my mind it's a no he did not have it's, sex with her i don't okay he did not have sex with her he held her he no he should have gone put on his big old pants his boots and gone and gone to, to sarah to sarah and be like let me hold you for one night let me let, let's be together just for this for one night and let me just hold you if that's all he wanted no but at that point, he doesn't. He didn't feel like he deserved to be even in her presence. Like that's how like broken down he was as a person. It's still a no. Keep going. I'm just gonna sip my tea. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I I understand and I see what you're what you're saying. It's just me reading that and just that. Yeah, it it. I didn't like it. I didn't. That's why it's such a hot topic in the fandom. Like a lot of people feel like you do. S, where to them this is like a betrayal this is not and you know whether you read it as sex or not you can still feel like he shouldn't have done that you yeah. know even if it's just holding her um even if it's her job <laughs> yeah even if he paid her for it and called her by someone else's name which but i feel like if and if it was a different type of book because this usually like i can do cheating i can do mm -hmm. love triangles i can do but for some reason, it just it not not in this book. So do you think it's because like for him, his feelings have kind of somewhat been established for Sarah, and like her feelings are also like very strong for Derek? Do you think that was the reason why it was kind of a little off-putting for you? Yeah, I can definitely see that being the reason why. Do you yeah. think that for a man like Derek Craven, who it's very much established that you know he is not. Uh, He's very used to uh, ladies, okay? He's been around a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you think that him having sex with her, knowing that he very much probably does not see the act as very intimate, would you? do you think it would have made a difference compared to cuddling someone, holding on to someone, which is very much intimate? You know, it's something that you don't, think a man like him would do and yeah. so therefore it feels a little special that he's doing that with her you know do you think that that would have made a difference you know sex very like not very intimate for him kind of like a usual thing that he does versus cuddling holding on to someone in that intimate way is it worse <laughs> in some ways than having sex uh, that's a good question i'm gonna say yes that it's worse 
Either if either if it's if it's cuddling or sex, it's it, that to me that's still intimate. If either or. But if he doesn't see it that way, I see. You know, it that based way. on his character. Yeah, you do, but you're you as for a character like him. You know, he doesn't see sex that way. For him, it's just like you know to scratch an urge. But holding someone is probably something he's never done. He didn't even do that to Sarah. Besides the like the little he hugs. He didn't we get. even really do that to Sarah. You're mm-hmm. right. So. I feel like there's almost like more of a weight, an emotional weight to holding that way than just having sex with Tabitha because he just wanted to have sex, you know? I kind of feel like it's worse. It's bad. It's bad. But also, I'm literally not hanging on, but I literally see it as him grasping at straws. Like, he's honestly so broken as a person. And it's like, in his head... He literally copy and pasted Sarah. Like, in his head, he believes that Sarah because he wanted that to be so. And so him hugging and, like, you know, cuddling Tabitha, he's not. He's obviously, like, hugging and caressing and cuddling Sarah in his head. And that's just, I don't know, for me, it just proves how broken he was as a person at that point. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I again, it's very, he's very lonely, you know, it's like extremely lonely in that moment and he wants to feel that. And it kind of reminds me actually when you said that of like people who, you know, lose a loved one, especially like, uh, you know, a spouse or something and they buy like dolls, you know, yeah. that look like them to cuddle them or, mm-hmm. you know, even people that hire people just to cuddle with them. So it makes me think of that, you know, that yeah. like longing to find that to to relive that connection with someone that you just lost and you know like you said at that point for him it's like he's lost her forever she's back in the countryside she's engaged she's gonna get married you know she told him i'm in love with perry so he's like he's got that in his mind like he's never gonna see her ever again he's gotta move on he obviously can't he feels extremely lonely and this longing for her and he feels like he just needs that physical contact, even if it's fake. He just needs to pretend like she's there because he's not ready to let her go. Uh, yeah, and that so, just, like, it breaks my heart, which is why, like, I'm not so caught up on that whole scene and that situation with Tabitha. Yeah. Anyways, I feel like let's talk about the bitch. <sighs> okay. That's another I'm gonna issue. Play, I'm <laughs> gonna play the devil's advocate, but please let it be known. I fucking hate this bitch. Yeah, but. and I yeah, I think I know where we're gonna go with this. Okay. And I also wanted to talk about it, but go. So, Lady Ash Ashby Ashby Ashby. Ash, I say Ashby in my head. Is a conniving bitch, <laughs> <laughs> but she was Derek Craven's. I love how I only always need to say his old name. Like it's a I don't know. <laughs> like it can't be just Derek or Craven. It's like Derek Craven. <laughs> Um, she was his mistress, which was a bad decision on his part, but he knew that. He knew that it was going to be a bad idea, but he did it anyway, yeah. uh, which, you know, shows you how much he uh, esteems himself and his worth, that he's like, this is a bad fucking idea, but it's probably what I deserve. And this woman is, she's in a situation where she actually has a lot of freedom as a woman. She married a very, 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 very old man who lets her do pretty much what she wants. And so as a married woman, she's pretty much like at the top of where she can be, you know, 
she's titled, she's married, but he lets her do whatever the fuck she wants. And so she has a taste of what it's like to be free. And she has this thing with Derek where she feels like she's being given what she needs, you know, and allowed to explore herself, her sexuality, etc. in exciting ways that, you know, fulfill her. And that's taken away from her. Obviously, she does a lot of shit that's like, what the fuck were you thinking? Toxic and disgusting and, you know, she needs to be put away forever. Yes. But I see it as you have a lion, a starving lion in a cage, and you keep it in that cage. And then every so often you feed it a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And it, you know, starts to have a taste for the food that you give it. And then suddenly you let it out of its cage. What is it going to do? It's going to fucking jump on you and eat you. You know, like, I just see it that way. Like, to me, she's, it's easy to just be like, oh, yeah, she's a bitch, whatever. She's crazy. Yes, I agree with all that. But she's a woman in this world that's extremely difficult for women. And she knows what it's like to be free. And she doesn't want to let that go. You know, she's gripping on it for dear life. And I do feel a little bit bad when at the end, you know, she's sent to Scotland and he pretty much threatens her with putting her in an an asylum. And she literally says, I don't want to be caged again. Yeah. Like, I just feel like it's easy to overlook all of that. But there's nuances there. Um, okay. I see what you're saying. I do. But personally, I just feel like she has gone to the point where, like, She's just cruel. And, like, she's so malicious. Yes, she is. And it's, like, it's not even that, like, she does it to Derek. It's, like, she knew how much, like, this club meant to him. And she's, like, "Mm mm-mm, no, I'm going to destroy it because I can't. And she does destroy it. And, like, she does even threaten to keep Sarah, like, in a tower and, like, would, like, maybe get her to do sexual favors on her in order for her to win food and all of that. Like, it's just, like, she's just so far gone and, like, no longer a person to me, that, like, I honestly feel like she's just, like, so far out there that I just can't even, like, think about her. But I also feel like we need to recognize that she was literally only 14, 15 when she married that old man. And, like, she was True. never able to grow as a woman. And, like, she's still very much that child that, you know, she was when she first married that guy. Emotionally stunted, probably. But, again, none of her... uh her, like, none of her past and, like, like you said, her desire to explore her sexuality excuses what she's done. Like, she's a vile, no, disgusting and I'm not, person. I'm not trying to. No, I know, but I'm you're, I'm trying yeah, yeah. to explain why yeah. it might be a thing, yeah, you yeah. know? Like, to me, she's kind of the embodiment of what happens when you repress people that way. Yeah. You know, when you take everything from them, then they're going to fight back and they're probably going to fight back harder And I think that's what she's doing. You know, she becomes this cruel being, this cruel person who does awful fucked up things. Yeah. Because that's her way to fight back against her fear of being caged, of being, you know, repressed, of of not being able to to be free in this world, which doesn't allow her, her to be free. I don't know. Like, yeah, no, it's, I'm not, like, trying to excuse what she, no. she, she did. I'm, I'm just trying to see what, why she might have done it yeah. or where she's coming from. 
But doesn't she have freedom? Doesn't her husband give her that freedom? She's as free as she can be in this society as a woman. Yeah. But in terms, like, Derek always mentions, like, her sexual predilections or whatever and, like, how, you know, mm-hmm. like, she is very much, like, game for anything. Um, she hasn't explored or, like, experienced that, I think, before Derek. But even if, even if she's as free as could be, it doesn't, doesn't take away the fact that she's married to a man who could literally take it all away from her and does at any moment. Yeah. That's something that looms over you. Like you, you you imagine living like that. Like just knowing that at any point everything you've worked towards or everything you love or everything that, you know, every all the little freedoms that you have could be taken away and you could be back where you started, you know, alone not being able to do anything. Like and that's where she ends. Let's say she wasn't this vile creature and her husband still gave her that freedom. Do you think she still yeah. ran the risk of being caged? Of her husband seeing... Of course. The second that you're owned by someone else, you ran, you ran the risk of, yeah. of not being free anymore. You're not free. It's, it's an illusion. She's not free. She's owned by her husband. Yeah, and I think because she's so vile and malicious, you know, we forget about her and we no longer see her as someone to sympathize or empathize with. So, like, if she was, like you said, as, like, a a good person that, you know, had her affairs and, like, they ended amicably and, like, she moved on and, like, things like that, and then she was just automatically sent to Scotland or, like, it would either be that or the mental asylum – then I feel like you'd be like, oh my gosh, poor Joyce. You know, I felt so bad for her. And I just feel like the whole asylum thing that's brought up at the end adds a- another depth for me to this because, you know, women were constantly threatened with being sent to the asylum. Yeah. Anything that they did wrong, they were beaten by their husband and had emotional scarring as a result. They were sent to the asylum because they were fucking crazy. It's their fault. I, I, I think she's an interesting character. I don't like her. Like I said, conniving bitch. <laughs> but, and like what she did to Sarah is unforgivable, obviously. All right. Well, that was depressing. Well, uh... <laughs> so, do we want to get into the monster? Wait, before we get into the monster, I wanted to talk about, um, it was kind of a common topic, I think, in the Hathaway, not Hathaway, sorry, the Wallflowers episodes. And it was about her parents. How did you feel mm. about the parents in this, uh, the story? Because we're used to, like, obviously Mercedes and Thomas Bowman. We're, like, used to, like, Annabelle's mom and, like, you know, Evie's, like, awful, awful aunt and uncle. And in this case, we have her parents that are so kind and, like, understanding and, like, wanted the best for her. Um, how did you feel about that? To see, like, the differentiation between the two and why do you think that was the case? So that's what popped into my head when you guys were discussing about her being judgmental and kind of looked down on okay. the club girls. And it kind of makes me think like her parents, I, the way I felt like her parents were very open minded and they were kind and they didn't seem like the type of people to judge. Because mm-hmm. her mom never chastised her for her feelings for Derek. No. She knew who Derek was, but she's like, oh, well, you know what? Mm. You got my support. Yeah, and I feel like she got her, like, her wanting to be independent and her um, wanting to write, and then 
I felt like her parents didn't hold her back in that mm-hmm. regard. Yeah. So it was a nice change to see compared to the other parents because every other parent was has been horrible. Mm, right? I wouldn't agree with that. Who do you think? I, I mean, the Hathaway's parents were great. They just died, unfortunately. Okay, okay. Um, Annabelle's mom was Annabelle's mom was great. You know, she was doing her best for her kids. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, she wasn't the worst mother, but like at the same time, because of her situation, she was very much complacent, and she mm-hmm. wanted you know Annabelle to find a match and marry so that she would no longer have to do that. Of course, like there was no other option for her, and so no, yeah, yeah no, it just she sucked. wasn't. She wasn't bad. No, she wasn't. she wasn't bad. Her situation was bad. Do you think that in a way? they have the freedom to be more complacent that in that way and more you know offer more freedom to Sarah because they're not a part of the time yes exactly because they don't have to you know make sure that their daughters have good matches mm-hmm. that their sons have money that you know it gets passed down and there's an heir and everything like they just have one daughter they're an elderly couple they just get to treat her like we would expect parents to treat their kids nowadays because they don't have all these expectations to fulfill. Exactly. You know? And I feel like, yeah, with more money you have, the more, there are more expectations of you. And you are, you, like, you'd expect the same from your children and expect more from your children, actually. Because, like, you know, your social class demands that of you both. And obviously Sarah's mom's freedom and like allowing her child to wish and like do things differently than herself um yeah she just Sarah's mom didn't impose her own expectations on her child she just let her live the way she wanted to and I think it was yes due to like the lack of social class or like the freedom that is given living in the country um I have a question about the 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 mom actually because okay well more or less because when Sarah is back in the country and she's like, you know, she gives Perry this like ultimatum. She's like, either you marry me or you marry your mom. <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> no, essentially it's like, well, I mean, that's essentially that. But, you know, she says like either you propose to me soon. Yeah. Or you and I are over uh, because she's sick and tired of his mom literally taking over everything. And she wants him to grow some balls. And she has this discussion with her mom where her mom tells her, I think her name is Katie, Katie or something yeah. like that, um, tells her, is it worth marrying him if you're just going to end up living with his mom? Like, do you think you can do that? Yeah. And Sarah has this moment where she's like, actually, no, I fucking can't. And what I find interesting is that she realizes that and then she, when Perry proposes, she accepts and then he tells her we're gonna live with my mom and she's like okay you know obviously she's not like happy about it but she doesn't fight it that much and I'm like you realized like three chapters ago that you didn't want that and that was like a hard limit you were like I cannot live with his fucking mom it's weird but Sarah was also grasping at straws at that point too I guess yeah I guess and I think that can kind of go into like that passage that I. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Are we? We're getting into the monster now. Anyway, all right. So go ahead. I think this is kind of like towards the end where she, I think where they kind of broke up. I think already, before she goes back to London, she says she knew better than he what the problem was. He wanted a wife who never questioned his decisions, 
He wanted her to make difficult sacrifices in order to make his life pleasant. This is about Perry. And she had been willing to do that for years for the sake of love and companionship. But now sometimes love didn't seem worth the price he demanded from her. He's, he's right. I have changed, she thought unhappily. Why do you have to be unhappy for changing? Okay. The fault was with her, not him. Not long ago, she had been the kind of woman who would have been able to make Perry happy. We should have married years ago, she thought. Why didn't I stay in the village and earn money some other way than writing? Why did I have to go to London? And it's just, I love the fact that she's realizing all this and that she just kind of, I feel like she's putting herself down in what she's worked for to mm. kind of settle for something that she knows she's not happy with and will not be happy with. Do you think it's because she kind of just realizes that she's not going to have Craven? I think it was her meeting him and experiencing what she could have had with him is what's making her like, ugh, I, like, I don't, I'm not happy. Because, like, before she went to London, she was very happy with Perry, and she thought it was love. And maybe she did love him, but she, I don't know if she was in love with him. I don't know. We didn't really explore that. But I think it's, like, she didn't know anything else. She was ignorant to whatever else was out there, you know? Like, until she met Derek, mm. she's like, wait, love could be, like, this? How did you feel about the amount of times that she tried to, like, reach that intimacy that she had with Derek, with Perry? She, like, tried to kiss him, like, two or three times. She wanted to recreate, I guess, what she yeah. had with Craven. Yeah. She was recreating it for the wrong reasons and with the wrong person. So were you okay with her, like, kissing more so than you were with Derek's actions with Tabitha? No, I would no. For me, I think there's a difference because I actually think that Derek realized his feelings and the depth of them mm -hmm. before she did. Yes. So to me, when there's that scene with Tabitha, which is happening pretty much like concurrently with this, he has already reached those conclusions. He's already in his feelings. He's very much in his feelings. Yeah. Whereas for her, I think it's more so she's still testing out the waters. She's still trying to figure out... Is this a one-off? You know, obviously she's still quite innocent. You know, despite everything she knows and blah, blah, blah. She's quite innocent still. So she's trying to see, can I replicate that with other people? Or is it just Derek? And what does he mean? And how do I feel about it? And blah, blah, blah. So to me, it's not tainted by any kind of emotion besides like, She's just trying to figure out herself, <laughs> you know, yeah. and what she wants and what she likes and what she doesn't like. So I, I, I don't really fault her for that. Like, Derek comes from a place where he's very much aware of who he is as a person and at that point very much aware of his feelings towards yes. uh, Sarah. So it's different to yeah. me. Let's get into the monsters, folks. S, you want to start? You seem mm. eager. You know? <laughs> She's like, I want to be done. <laughs> we both want to be done. Yeah, okay. so for Craven, I guess I'll just say, I feel like he had a lot of monsters. But him feeling, not feeling worthy enough to be with Sarah. Yeah. And just him pushing, yeah. pushing away, even though she kind of like, she, there was a line where she's like, let me love you or something like that. Yes. Like, let yourself be loved. Yeah. I think he says, 
she says it's very or i guess they're both aware that it's extremely easy for him to let her go in the sense that it's much harder to see himself as worthy of loving her and of being loved by her Mm -hmm. um he also mentions I mean, this is kind of related to what you just said, but um, he mentions that because his mom was a prostitute, he's always seen himself as one as well. Kind of like as if it's passed down by blood, like mm. what she did passed on to him, which is part of why the whole like, oh, she's morally superior to him kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's like yeah. he feels that way. So the fact that you feel that way, you're supposed to not feel that way about him. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be the one t- to let him know, don't feel that way mm-hmm. about yourself. Yeah, it was a lot of that. For me, obviously, we talked about the whole like the fact that he always wants more and more and more, which A, comes from a place of having nothing. Yes. <laughs> and B... I think just a place of, of being extremely lonely. And, and he mentions that he's never been able to trust anyone. He's always felt like women are deceiving, that they, you know, will tell you one thing, feel another. And he just feels like he's extremely alone. I don't think he knows that, but he clearly feels that way. Yeah. So, so yeah, accepting someone into his life and accepting that, he deserves to have that person in his life is extremely hard for him yeah did you have any for sarah uh well one of them is she feels very much like she lives vicariously through her stories and other people so i think if anything uh, through her relationship with Derek Craven, she was able to realize herself, mm-hmm. you know, realize who she is and that, you know, she has a life as well, which is like, <laughs> I can relate <laughs> a little too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that was part of it for her, like just uh, realizing that there's a life outside of it that, you know, she doesn't need to just constantly live off of stories yeah yeah I think that was it for me for me like you both basically touched upon it like his unworthy like his feeling of unworthiness when it came to Sarah um but I also like um kind of thought about um one of the monsters being like the lack of system in place for children without homes or like children living in poverty like obviously at that time Mm -hmm. there wasn't any system in place you know it was in the past it was a time like where the rich you know, were important in the middle class, were, like, there, but they were frowned upon, and, like, forget ever mentioning people in poverty, or, like, even children, like, orphans, like, you don't mention them, like, they literally are so irrelevant in the society. Um, There clearly also were no labor laws (laughs) back then, and, like, you know, with the child labor and unsafe work, the chimney boys, for example, like, there were just so many, like, situations that were obviously never for, like, in favor of people that needed you know support and help the most yeah that guy literally says well we need someone to sweep our chimneys or else our houses are gonna burn so like might as well use poor children because like they don't fucking matter anyway they won't amount to anything basically is what he said yeah yeah and obviously like pretty much the whole conversation about uh lady ashby can work into this as well i feel like there's a couple things in there 
uh, patriarchy is always a monster, no matter what book we're reading. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can I just mention something that I just find it's the funniest trope? Funniest okay. trope. She wears a mask that hides her her eyes. Therefore, he cannot absolutely not right? recognize her. Is she changing the way she speaks? Like I don't understand. I don't. But this is something that comes up in books so often, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like just putting something over your eyes suddenly you can't fucking see who it is. Come on. Come on. To be honest, though, she also looked different in terms of, like, her clothing. Her boobies were out. Her hair was up and luscious. And, like, she looked different. And she was wearing makeup and things like that. So maybe I guess we can say that. I don't know. Oh, I just thought of something weird. Oh, no. She was kind of impersonating Matilda in that scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was. Who is a prostitute. And there's something real yikes about the fact that she can just take the fucking costume off and feel and go back to being and go back to her life meanwhile she's judging those that can't because that's the fucking life that they've been dealt with like, <gasps> that fucking bitch little, <laughs> there's fucking there's something you <laughs> about that yeah. <laughs> I wish I hadn't had that thought just now but um anyways so, Wes, how did you like this? So you were very vocal about wanting to read this book. Do you feel like it, you know, yeah. it was great? Do you feel like it, like, met what you wanted? It achieved what it wanted to achieve? Like, you know, you want to throw the whole book out? I mean, out? she already said want? at the beginning that no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a no. It was... It's, okay. it's a no it's for a no. me, dog. It's a big <laughs> no. is it... Is it going to stop you from continuing the Hathaway's book? or like? No. Okay. No, of course not. No. Okay. No, 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 no. Then I'm good. I'm happy. Just no more in this this timeline, I guess. The world. Well, that, it's the same timeline. Same but, timeline, yeah. but like that setting where he's close by. Her series are better. Like I said, yeah. it, that's really where she shines. It's when she's got... A lot of characters and they're all different and she makes you care about all of them and she makes you care not just about the romantic arcs but the friendship arcs the redemption arcs mm -hmm. so yeah and and i hope that uh you know if you made it this far in the episode because it turned out to be quite long actually mm -hmm. um i hope that at the very least if you love this book uh you felt like we had interesting conversations you know we always try to be nuanced with things when we don't necessarily like or enjoy something that doesn't mean it has no value of course that's something i want to make very clear just because we don't like something does not mean it is bad and it doesn't mean that it's not worth your love um so yeah hopefully you still enjoyed the conversation if you want to find us online, uh, you can find us on Twitter at the RTM Pod, as well as on Instagram at Romancing the Monsters Podcast. If you would rather send us an email, which we would love, so feel free to do that. Uh, you can find us at romancingthemonsters at gmail.com. Also, TikTok is Romancing the Monsters Pod, and YouTube, as per usual, just type in the name of our podcast and you should be able to find us. Once again, feel free to subscribe while you're on there. Um, and if you want to find me specifically, I am on both Twitter and Instagram at foes and lovers. And you can find me as on both Twitter and Instagram at but this book. And you can find me stuff on both Instagram and Twitter at pros with woes. And there you go. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.